Welcome back to another show of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I'm here today with Jiro Taylor out of Australia. Jiro, welcome to the show. Thank you. Jiro is a super special friend that I just had the pleasure to hang out with in the jungle in Costa Rica for about 10 days, which felt like a lifetime. Uh, <laughs> and also a fellow mastermind, a superhero mastermind. And Jiro, you're the founder of something called the Flow State Collective. And I would just love to start right there. Flow State or Flow is such a big buzzword right now. And um, just give us your download. Like, who is the Flow State Collective? What is Flow State? What is not Flow State? And preach, brother. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll give well, This could take up the whole hour. So I'll, I'll uh, try and keep it boxed. So basically, the Flow State Collective is an organization. It's a movement that I founded in 2014. And we exist to support and empower visionary entrepreneurs and CEOs who have a big vision for a future state, a future reality. And we help them create that future by helping them get into visionary states of mind, by helping them get completely lucid on their vision to expand their vision, and then to get the support and the collaborations and the network and the skills and the confidence and the self-mastery to realize that vision. So this is the background to all of this, man. If we're going to go to way back, it's, it's me. First of all, like living in Japan and learning about Zen Buddhism, this is like the, the roots of my flow journey. It's learning about flow from the original like Zen masters and learning about meditation when I was living in Japan and realizing that control of consciousness really does determine the quality of my life. And this was a profound discovery for me to realize that actually by learning skills to develop a different state of consciousness, by learning how to state shift from suboptimal states of consciousness into more pleasant and high-performing states of consciousness like happiness and gratitude and joy and flow and all these sorts of things and realizing that I actually had the control at my fingertips by, by developing control of my consciousness. This was such a profound realization. Fast forward a couple of years, I decided to do this thing called the corporate world. I was a headhunter in the finance industry working in the, in the skyscrapers in London and Hong Kong, earning like seven figures and thinking that I was like some big shot Wolf of Wall Street character and just just throwing loads of cocaine up my nose and just like literally living a very, very ego-fueled existence where I, I thought I was the man. You're the new next big man, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was an interesting experience Shit, yeah. in my life realizing how quickly the identity that a career gives you can overtake you and consume you. So I actually tasted that. I experienced that firsthand. I was surrounded by bankers who were all just completely consumed by their identity and also completely in fear of losing this identity, of losing the money, of losing the status. And I began to feel those fears myself. I began to get extremely fearful. I had more money than I've ever had, and I had more fear than I ever had of losing it all. So in 2009, I, I decided I was like overweight. I was taking drugs, really shit drugs, like cocaine all the time. And I was miserable, ashamed, depressed. And I lay on the couch, and I made a decision to, to quit that. And my question was, well, what do I do? What's, wh where do I go? I don't have a map. I don't have a mentor. There's, I don't have a guru. I don't have anybody telling me that there's a better way to live my life. All my friends are just doing the same thing that I'm doing. I'm trying to make as much money as they can. So where right. do I go? And I thought to myself, well, what's most meaningful? Like I got the journal out, right? And I just started asking myself these open questions. I was like, what's most meaningful to me in my life? What, what has given you most joy? When have you felt most alive in your life? And the things I was writing down were like, when I'm surfing, when I'm lost in a forest, when I'm climbing up a mountain, when I'm with friends and the conversation goes deep, 
when I'm in a meditation and I suddenly feel connected to all the people around me and all of life itself, these are the things that I was writing down. And so I was like, okay, well, if those are the most meaningful things in life, then why don't I just design my life so that it's just full of those things? So that's what I did. So I spent the next two years just traveling around the world, studying like Taoism, Buddhism, Qigong, surfing, snowboarding, climbing mountains, getting lost in forests, and basically just trying to experience as many flow state experiences as I could. And I was like this avid explorer of my consciousness, just like if, if there was any ever a chance to explore a new dimension of consciousness, whether it was through ayahuasca or whether it was through some sort of plant medicine or whether it was through a different sort of breathwork practice or whether it was through some sort of really, you know, from the wacky to the scientific, I was just like, give it to me. I want to explore my consciousness. And I was like writing a lot, taking notes, exploring, connecting the dots between the science and the spiritual. And I began to see patterns emerge. I began to see one truth. I began to see that the scientists and the spiritual masters were actually talking about the same thing. Mm. Like we can either live our life through this dimension of consciousness that's obsessed with problem solving and thinking all the time, or we don't have to. We can live our lives through this dimension of consciousness where we don't think all the time, we don't worry all the time, we don't judge all the time, but where we actually just feel this sense of immersion and this sense of connectedness with all of life. Like you speak to some ancient like Taoist master on a mountaintop in China, that's his wisdom. He's saying, get into Wu Wei, get into the flow of life, effortless mm. action. You go speak to a flow state neuroscientist and he's going to tell you that we, when you get into a flow state, you experience transient hypofrontality where a part of your brain shuts down, which controls your sense of self, your sense of linear time. When yeah. those things shut down, you literally, on a neurobiological level, slip into the flow of life. Your subconscious turns on, your intuitive powers turn on, and you get out the way of yourself. You remove that fundamental block to flow. So this was all so radically groundbreakingly amazing for me that I decided to, of course, just like, well, there's no decision. It was just like, I'm, this is my life, right? I'm just going to explore this more and more. There was no like conscious decision. It was just like, this is meaningful. This is my path. This is, this is going to solve th this path of, of flow. It has a scientific language to it, but really it's like it's about self-awareness. This is how I can help people. This is how I can help myself. And so I decided to dedicate my life to it, to exploring flow. Next thing you know, I've founded this company called the Flow State Collective, and I'm taking a bunch of people on retreats to Japan, snowboarding and breathing and meditating and partying and and then like booking out other retreats. And then I just carry on doing my thing, writing and exploring. And I soon start having like tech startup founders contact me and ask me to teach them how to experience deeper flow states and how to help them uh, get out of this uh, constant anxiety and worry and fear and stress that they're, that they're suffering with. And so I began working with tech startup founders and helping them become higher performing. And then fast forward a year later, they're saying, my business, like I've gone through a transformation, I've, I'm in flow, but my business, it's full of distrust. It's full of ego. There's people just backstabbing and being like, like control freaks. What do we do about this? And so Flow State started going into their companies to help them design what I call flow culture to help their companies become like vehicles yeah. to spread flow. Flow so, culture? Yeah, flow culture, man. Flow culture is the, in a company, flow culture is, is characterized by shared meaning, like deep meaning. We all have a shared meaning, right? Why are you doing, you speak to the, you speak to the secretary, you speak to the PA, you speak to the CEO of the company, they'll all tell you the same shared meaning that's driving them, right? Then there's trust, trust in self, trust in others. 
right? This is trust as the life force that flows through this company. And then there's like this radical commitment to growth, to personal growth, right? Those are the three pillars of, of flow culture. And if you have them in any company, then you're going to have this amazingly thriving, high vibe culture where people are just showing up, just like fully charged. And that's one of the things that I feel is going to... You're growing uh, with the flow of this conversation. I just want to like throw in a question there because it makes me super curious. I personally work in a collective that's called Conscious Thought Revolution, very, very much like shared meaning, trust, which by the way is a lot more tricky to establish than, than, than one might think with oneself and then with a collective of others, but also personal growth. Those are like core values of ours. So I'm getting to experience day by day how delicious it can be, how challenging it can be, and also kind of how it actually really represents the way forward. But my question to you is like, what would it take to like uplift our collective consciousness into a flow culture? So that like not just individual businesses, but us as humanity have a chance to kind of go into this. I call this the place of purpose, connect, being connected with purpose. You call it flow culture. I think we're talking about a very similar thing. So I'd love to hear like, what's the transition to, to get there? Yeah. Awesome question. This is the, the question that I spend my life addressing and contemplating. I mean, essentially, it comes down to we're all on individual journeys and we all have tremendous capacity and agency over the way that we think, the way that we act. This dimension of inner growth called self-awareness is the absolute fundamental roots of this mission we both share right, to catalyze a global awakening. So this comes down to education, right? Because in my experience, the majority of the world do not even know that there is this dimension called self-awareness. It's, it's like, let me, there's like the horizontal axis and there's, no, there's the vertical axis and the horizontal axis, right? Just to, just to sort of draw a model around this. The horizontal axis is like, I'm running towards pleasure and I'm running away from pain, right? This is what, most people are on, right? I'm running towards what I think will give me more comfort in my life. And I'm running away from what I think is going to hurt me. And so this, they're just running, 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 running. And then at some point in someone's life, they either have a tragedy or they have a hopefully more pleasant awakening uh, kind of like catalyst, right? And this is when they stop running, right? And all of a sudden they realize there's this other dimension. They can go in. They can go inside. They can go into their bodies. They can go into their consciousness, into their self-awareness. And this is the birth of a new level of consciousness where you become aware that we don't just have to think and worry and be scared all the time, right? We can actually just drop in onto this, onto this vertical level. And the deeper you go, the, the higher you're going to go. So the first, to answer your question, the first thing is teaching people, giving, empowering people with the information that they have the capacity to expand in their awareness. Yeah. I always love going a level deeper with this because I, I'm, I'm with you, like information and access to this, like you broke it down to a very simple model, like having a horizontal and a vertical line. Being aware that this is possible, I think, is step one. And I think we live in a culture where we, you kind of said it before, we're so fixated on solving problems that we're rarely, as a larger field of, um, of people, as groups, collectives, governments, we rarely look at, well, what if we were to step out of problem solving mode for a second? What is it that we actually would like to create? Mm. And th those are questions, they seem so simple because they actually are that simple, but they're very rarely actually being asked at like the very top level of especially governments. I think organizations and startups have a little bit more space for that. But as soon as there is like a load of momentum rolling and we have all these problems um, to deal with, I think a lot of people refer to the way they work like, oh man, I'm just, 
I'm just putting out fires all day. And I think that's exactly where, where the challenge lies is to step away from putting out fires and looking up and being like, okay, what? Which requires what? What, what does that require? That, yeah, you're absolutely right, man. So the, the problem-solving state of consciousness is, is like literally the hamster on the wheel, just like yeah. round and round and round and round and round. To step out of the problem-solving addiction, that's what it is. It's an mm. addiction. It requires something that our culture does not like to give, and that's time and space, right? That's time and space. This is the profundity of retreats. Like, um, I mean, retreat in its rawest sense, a retreat yeah. from problem-solving all the time, the retreat from putting out fires all the time. To actually uh, create the time and space in your life, just be still to just lie down and look at clouds, to just be with a tree, to just be, to just sit, to just ponder and contemplate, or to not even do that, to just be. This is where what you talked about, the capacity, you were talking about vision, you were talking about the possibility to uh, perceive a, future, a desired future state. Well, yeah, this is definitely step two. Once you've, once you've got the capacity, the ability to understand that there is this inner dimension called self-awareness, well, then the next stage is to do something about it from that place, right? And Absolutely. And I mean, you, you mentioned it in your own life. You had this moment where, however, you, you got to that place, right? You shared kind of the like, catastrophic like self-abuse almost, right? That you had mm -hmm. to go through. But you came to that place where you said, what makes me most alive? What is it actually that, that I enjoy the most? And I think Elon Musk, actually, he's famous for so many things. But he also actually regularly shares quite the insightful way of how his journey is going. So he says. Uh, he believes that the quality of questions determines the quality of, of life and kind of the depth of exploring the human consciousness. And I think that's genius because the quality of questions we dare to ask individually and then without necessarily knowing the answer and the quality of questions we dare to ask on a collective. Like I'll give you, I'll give you one of my favorite questions. I think Bucky Fuller said that one. What would it take to create a world that works for everyone? And the trouble I'm experiencing with half of the people I asked that to is that they say, it will never work for everyone. Problem not being able to solve. We can't, we can't solve this problem because I can literally tell they're still in this mindset of like, you can either solve a problem with a zero or a one, a yes or a no. Mm -hmm. But then there are more complex problems where it requires to step into uncertainty. And for me personally, that's where this is kind of how we got here, where flow begins. Flow begins when I dare to step into uncertainty. For me personally, it also has to do with the direction. If I just stumble around in uncertainty, nothing really happens. But maybe you can distinguish a little bit there because I followed your journey now for a bit and I, I feel like people use the word flow all over the place. But can we, is there like a way to kind of trim it down a bit or, or clearly define what's not part of it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, there's no ownership of the word flow. It can be whatever the hell you want it to be. But it's a good question because it, it helps us get deeper into the, to the inquiry around the root of our communication. And so the other day I was out at a restaurant and there was like, eight of us and we needed to split the bill and you know it's that it's that moment where the check comes and it's just like really annoying someone has to get the calculator out and do the sums and and the person next to me was like oh i don't care i'm just going to go with the flow on this one and essentially he was kind of saying like in a way i, I can't be bothered to do the maths like i'm not don't put it with me i'm, I'm just there's a bit of laziness to it a little bit of avoidance so a lot of the times when people say let's i'm going to go with the flow on this it's, it's kind of like this passive passiveness Whereas my understanding of going with the flow is that it's not passive, but, but active in the sense that there's intention behind it. There's an intentional dimension to the way that I choose to think and act 
and design my life to experience this thing called flow. So I think that's kind of like it in a nutshell. Like it's like what, what's what's your intention? Is it are you avoiding something or are you like going somewhere? All right? What's what's the directionality to it? And in sort of like spiritual communities and conversations with people, there's a lot of like floatiness and like I'm just gonna go with the flow and you know like there's kind of like this vibe of just like yeah like the more spiritual I am, the more flowy I am, the kind of like less I have to care about stuff and and it's like well. If you, sometimes there's like great wisdom there, but sometimes it all depends on an individual. Sometimes if you inspect a little bit further, it's like actually the person is, is just yet to arrive at the part of the stream which has like directionality, right? So it's almost like if you vision the flow of life as this river, right? There's parts of the river that are just spinning circles, right? And there's parts of the river, like in the middle of the river, it's just like there's, there's like a power to it, yeah? And then if you go to the edges of the river, like it's, it's moving really slowly. And I feel like that's the way that we can live our lives. Like we, when we do certain practices, when we become really deeply aware of, of like who we are and what we are and why we're here and what's meaningful to us in life, we enter the middle of this river where there's this great power carrying us forward. When we're confused, when we haven't done the self-inquiry exercises, where we don't know what we stand for and when, and it's okay to be there, right? It's okay. But you're kind of like you're in the swirly bits of the river and you're going back and forth and that's okay. That's okay, but don't glorify that. Don't like, you know, talk about how that's a state of, of like higher consciousness. You know, that's just, it's just where you're at in life. You know, that's my, that's my view. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting because I think that's where, for me, I, I mean, one of the, the main things we, we want to distinguish is, first of all, there's, there's very little right and wrong and kind of this next layer of, of well, how uh, the root of our communication and also the kind of the, the way we're building new, new societies. There shouldn't be right and wrong about every little thing we're doing. So it's absolutely fine for people to be in different stages. So being in a problem solving team, that's excellent. It just maybe is not something that every single human being should be trimmed to be part of, right? So it's the same about different stages of the journey or different levels of clarity. I feel like we're looking at things very often with this lens of like, well, if I'm doing this and I chose that this is my new direction, then it must be the right thing. While if it's the right thing for you in this very moment, there's a lot of merit in that. Mm. Yeah, man. The fundamental question for me, like as, as I get deeper into my exploration of consciousness, I really realize that flow and struggle, we're really talking about surrender versus control. Mm. The extent to which we hold on to control right, is the extent to which we don't surrender. And the more that we learn to surrender to the, the, the natural intelligence of life, like the, the life force that flows. There's a natural intelligence that's just so clearly evident in the, in the way that life manifests on this planet. Right? There's this like things want to express. There's this like, wh what do we want to do? We, we want to naturally express. What, what happens when we repress ourselves? We get sick, we suffer, we get depressed, right? So there's this like natural like flow, you know, mm -hmm. which, which is towards greater and greater and greater expression, right? And the thing is when we control, you know, the most common form of control is, is self-limitation, self-limiting. Like, I'm going to muzzle myself. I'm going to put a mask on. I'm going to control. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that because I'm, I'm self-controlling myself, right? And it's because of some sort of fear story, some sort of narrative, some sort of insecurity, some sort of like program from culture that tells you you can't do that and you should do this. And therefore, the way to like plunge into deeper and deeper and deeper levels of flow is really to step to the threshold, to, to the edge of the cliff to the edge of the emerging future and to just 
learn how to fearlessly face it, how to just be like at the edge, like, come at me, life, future, let's do this. I have no expectations. I relinquish control. I surrender to whatever is happening here, right? That, that's living in the flow of life, right? This, that's what it's actually all about. Beautiful. I love this distinct, uh, distinction between passive flow, active flow, and kind of this like basic question of control and surrender. And I think as we're talking about consciousness and uh, us individually kind of surrendering into the emerging future, but also collectively, these, these topics are continuously very important to be looked at at every like intersection on, on the human journey. Cause I, I feel like even though um, there's more and more books coming out about these topics, there is still quite, quite the walk to walk for us as a collective. Mm. Let me just kind of switch it up a little bit because I, I love where we, where we went with flow and I want to hear more about it, but from a different angle. So mm-hmm. we talked right before we hopped on the line, you were, you were speaking about supporting visionaries and really like nourishing them in a way to bring out these large visions. Totally. Let me break it down like this. So as I said to you before, like I suddenly, when I was doing my work and I was like writing a lot and, and recording my podcast, which is all about flow, I began to get inquiries from tech startup founders who wanted to go on an inner growth path. And, and so I, so I began to wonder if like I'm part of my purpose is to support tech startup founders. So I started hanging out with more tech startup founders. And what I realized is that it's, I don't give a shit whether they're a tech startup founder or a milkman or a, like, or, or a lumberjack. I really do not give a shit, right? And yeah. I don't give a shit whether they've got a one billion company or, or, or whether they've got like some sort of operation in their garage. Like what I care about is whether they have a vision for a future reality, right? And what mm. I care about is whether they have the courage to realize that vision. And so I began to realize the connection between flow states and visionary states because the clients that I was doing work with, you know, we are learning how to state shift into higher states of consciousness, into deep presence. And I began to realize that these clients of mine where new visions started to emerge from them. All of a sudden, the, the whole motivation structure went from I, I want to make my mom and dad proud. I want to uh, just give myself safety. I just, I just want to have enough money so that I can live a good life and I can support my wife, which is all beautiful. It's all fine. But it all started getting more visionary. It all started scaling up Maslow's hierarchy of needs from survival to thriving, right? And so the basic model here is that the more time you spend in visionary states of consciousness, the clearer, the more lucid, and therefore the more meaningful and the more achievable your vision is going to be. Let me put that another way. The less time you spend in visionary states, the less time you spend in deep presence, in kind of like liminal states, the less time you spend in profound states of present moment awareness, the more your vision is just going to be the product of culture. It's going to be other people's vision, or it's going to be a vision that's a product of a lower state of consciousness that you're operating at. It's going to be a vision from a fearful state that you're in. Do you see what I'm saying? It reminds me, funnily enough, of, of what you shared in the beginning when you were like chasing this like Wolf of Wall Street kind of uh, vision yourself for a couple of years, right? Because you're just removed from the like higher states of vision and like so in the tunnel of, oh my God, I need to like solve this puzzle. I need to be like the, the, the king of the hill of this puzzle, right? So yeah, very interesting. And like this present state awareness, like, it's so interesting where you're going because it, it, it pulls me into two directions at the same time. Like one is this like ego existence of our this community and our, our global collective, which 
we're, we're all experiencing individually, but then also this other side of like, what, what does it really mean to be in present moment awareness in this fully visionary state? Beautiful question. It's, first of all, let me just say, I, I, feel, I believe it's our natural innate state. Okay? So it's nothing, there's nothing cuckoo or mystical about this, right? This is our natural innate state. We're all visionaries, right? I'm not saying that he's a visionary and he's not a visionary. We're all visionaries, right? But the more that we spend in locked in, just like a thought obsession, neurotic monkey mind overthinking, and just busy doing like, like rats on, or hamsters on a treadmill, just like rushing around, rushing around. I'm building my career. I'm doing this. I'm busy. I'm busy. Look how good I am because I'm really busy. The less time that we've got to actually just like create time and space to drop in to higher states of consciousness. Like we have these higher states of consciousness. Like we have the capacity to have these higher states of consciousness, right? We can feel love. We can feel compassion. We can feel deep connectivity with all of life around us. This is it. This is our human birthright, right? This is our potential. So therefore, only by get accessing those states regularly until it, so, so that they can become almost default states, only then can we actually understand what our human potential is. And therefore, only then can we truly vision the, the highest forms of visions that are within us. Got it. Wow, man, that's that's wonderful. I I love the way you were expressing it and kind of connecting it to each and every individual within our collective because this is another kind of common thing we're doing in our common culture is like we're I we're idolizing these um almost authorities in in, in culture or authorities in flow or authorities in in knowledge or a genius and I think that's that's complete bullshit. We're all genius. We're all visionaries. We all have infinite potential. Like that's like we're, uh, yeah. every child is born a genius until society. And <laughs> yeah, genius is totally. And just to go a little bit deeper on that, like Please, um, yeah. so, just stop and think about this brain that we have in our in our bodies, right? Like this prefrontal cortex that that we have, which separates us from other sort of mammals like whales and dolphins is another topic for a discussion maybe they have different forms of higher intelligence we're yet to know but this prefrontal cortex the particular capacity of this prefrontal cortex that i'm talking about here is this visionary capacity to perceive to visualize a future state like the fact that i can sit here right now in this treehouse in australia and i can i can transport myself to the amazon in brazil and i can imagine what it is to stand there in an ancient jungle and I can imagine what the ground beneath my feet feels like and I can imagine the sounds of the howler monkeys and things like that like how powerful is that like that is an unbelievably powerful piece of kit that we've got in all of our heads yeah like and we've all we've all got this capacity so to me I'm like right I'm going to train that capacity I'm going to develop that capacity I'm going to develop my visionary capacity because I think it's you know when when you and, and I'm not just talking about the head and the mind I'm, I'm talking about when this gets connected with the heart right when you connect like all of our intelligence systems together when we start to move from just straight clinical visualization right that athletes use to like shoot a target more accurately and when we start to move to what I call feeluization mm. which is a term I'm borrowing from a coach called Phil Drillet feeluization is like activating our feeling intelligence and plugging it in with our thinking mind capacity to visualize something. 
And that's when you that's when you take this shit to a quantum level. And not only am I like seeing the jungle in the Amazon, I'm feeling what it is like to be in that place. All of a, when I activate that intelligence and I train it, all of a sudden I can feel a little bit about what it's like for you to be a human being in your position in life. I can feel what it is to be my mother, right? I can feel what it is to be the person who's got the completely different point of view that, that I've got and is like kind of like arguing or fighting with me. I can feel like what that is, right? What a powerful kind of visionary, empathetic, like higher intelligence that we have the capacity to unlock. Wow, absolutely. This is kind of a great segue into one of my favorite questions because you're talking about visionary states. And my question is, what would your vision for planet Earth be if each citizen of this Earth had a 200-year vision for Earth? What would yours look like, feel like? <laughs> feel like, yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, it, the feeling of it is play, joy. You know, like I look at dolphins and I feel like they, the reason why I think that they're, they're higher order sentient beings is because they're playing. They're quite clearly playing. So I think my vision would be a, a future where humans exist in a, in a perpetual state of uh, curiosity, uh, play and exploration right? Where we've learned enough about ourselves, where we've learned enough about internal psychology and biology that we're no longer dominated by fear unless there's actually like a legit fear and which turns on and off just like for a wild animal. Totally. And then when the, when the threat's gone, we just flip straight into higher states of love and compassion and wisdom, right? So that's my vision on, on that sort of like individual feeling level. What does that look like? Wow, man, right? Who knows? Who knows, but I'm envisaging all kinds of beautiful, like permaculture, beautiful organic agricultural setups. I'm, I'm viewing like the merging of technology and ancient wisdom fusing together so that the most cutting edge technology is like created by engineers and scientists who are informed by timeless, timeless, timeless wisdom, right? And they've done the deepest work to realize, to get clear on what connects us, what connects us. Um, what connects us to life and therefore the technology that creating whether it's uh, crypto whether it's like whether it's blockchain stuff or artificial intelligence or virtual reality all had its root vibration it's all about connection to ourselves to other beings and to nature itself so what does that look like I, i'd love to do a vision session with you brother to see what that looks like but i think that's sort of like well, that's kind of how it felt like to be in the jungle in costa rica with you and uh, all of our fellow superheroes this like feeling into this higher state of trust and connectivity, but also absolutely a level of productivity and like being grounded and being real and uh, taking care of our basic needs and providing them for each other. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what it looks like either. I love your answer. I, I have a follow-up question though. So how do you feel from where we are right now in on this like timeline of, of our history as humans, like where we are in 2018, like what's this transition into a next stage and what role do do well, the topic of trust and projects like universal basic income play in your mind. Mm. So can you just clarify the question again? Like, totally. is it, is it like I know, I, I ask very open-ended questions. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on UBI, for sure. Um, I kind of tied it to trust because I feel like what I heard you say in this visionary state is also a, a more, well, a more connected place where, you know, if we're in a, play, a place of joy, of play, I feel like we're going to be also in a in a state of consciousness that is much more trusting to, to yeah another. cool 
So, so for my views on, on, on universal basic income, I think that it's absolutely where we're headed towards. Okay, so there's a book by Daniel Pink called Drive. And Daniel Pink is a psychologist and he basically, the whole book can be in a way summarized to three drivers that we have as human beings, right? And the first is autonomy. Mm. And the second is self-mastery. And the third is purpose, okay? So as long as we have these three things um, in our life, then like we're thriving and we're, we're, we're charting, we're, we're climbing up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're going towards self-transcendence and we're living in a state of, of connection and, and, and compassion. So the whole idea of like income, like the argument against universal basic income surely is around like, oh, will humans be motivated? Well, that's just completely destroyed by, by what I just said, because we're, mo we're motivated by autonomy, self-mastery and purpose. So, but let me just caveat that by saying that universal basic income can only work if it's allied with self-awareness right if you if universal basic income is played out in a landscape of humans living in states of insecurity and fear and humans not having the education and the tools and the technologies and the wisdom to self-evolve yeah. then it's potentially a recipe for, for disaster. I haven't really played it out in my mind, to be honest with you, but that's just what instantly comes up. Exciting. Well, I, I like how you're putting universal basic income for the sake of this conversation or projects like this, right? Um, into like a, almost like an inevitable future for humanity, but very much tied. And that's what I'm, what I'm hearing you saying, very much tied to the environments in which we roll them out and the way we provide education and access to information and access to modalities to everyone. Because I think that's where our inequality truly strikes. I don't think the inequality problem on this earth have to do with just having different access to money. I think they have a lot of uh, a lot to do with having different access to education and to path of self evolution. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's why, like one one of my clients is uh, is a visionary uh, tech founder, and he works in the education space. And the vision that's emerging within him. Like he, this was just not in him a couple of years ago, but the vision that's emerging within him is to use machine learning and artificial intelligence to disrupt the education system so that kids are no longer taught by sort of like people on at the head of the classroom and like reading out things from textbooks and just so that kids can learn a certain amount of information to tick a certain amount of boxes to write a certain amount of things so that they can pass the test so that they can get a score so that they can get into the, the next rung of the system but instead disrupt all of that and use these emerging technologies to actually optimize for human engagement, to optimize for like this aliveness that I spoke about before. Yeah. So that what makes a certain human being come alive is different. What makes you come alive is different to what makes me come alive, right? So we're giving this actually bespoke curated, using like technology to provide, using machine learning, not to like, make you buy more Nikes because they're fucking stalking you and, and, they're, and they're like popping ads on your Google feed, but to actually use machine learning to give human beings access to the information that they're yearning for at that moment to get to the next level of growth that their inner intelligence is guiding them towards. That's the potential. Brilliant. Yeah, I think we're yet up for a whole truckload full of uh, disruptive innovations that we can even just kind of come up with like the, the base layer of how genius they're going to be 
I think 30 years ago, it was very hard to see what the uh, invention of the internet really truly is going to do to humanity. And we're at a very similar brink, I guess, when you ask some of the um, experts or experts in the space around blockchain and, and the possibilities in that field. We just don't know. You know? We just don't know. And I think it's it's very fine to admit that we don't know. For me, admitting not knowing or understanding that there is a piece that I don't know is this like literal surrender to oh, yeah. uh, the higher the higher states of what wants to come through. Not not beginner's mind. It's like empty cup. Fill my cup up with possibilities. <laughs> Love yeah, it. Right. I, yeah, this is uh, very much uh, along like Werner Earhart's work for all of you who have done that or people who are thinking about it like Things like Landmark, as much as they might seem like a cult from the outside, but there is a lot of merit to like beginner's mind and, and learning to uh, kind of upgrade our toolkit of language and uh, the way we address things on our internal world, but also in our external world and, and the way we create possibilities. And as you say, like empty cup and filling them with those cups, filling them with like infinite possibilities. Mm. And by the way, just a quick one, but curiosity is like one of the biggest growth hacks of all time. Mm. Like... Curiosity, I believe, exists on a spectrum. And at the other end of the spectrum is judgment. And it's like judgment has like got this closed energy to it. And curiosity has just got this like open, expansive, infinite quality to it. Right. So curiosity is is like such a powerful gateway to learning, to joy, to all, all the things that we want in life. And so it's it's such a pleasure being around people who are curious and and um yeah, it's 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 something that it's a skill that I that I seek to nurture in myself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, talking about nurturing in oneself or on, on a larger scale, um, I have one more question for you. And I want to see where you're, where you're taking this kind of infinite possibility that we just came up with. If you, Jiro, had $13.7 billion tomorrow in your bank account, they're there, $13.7 billion, what would you do with it? Oh, you know, just take all my mates to Vegas and just go hard. Strippers. <laughs> <laughs> if I had that amount of money uh, <laughs> right now, yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, my lifestyle wouldn't change one bit, you know. Like, it it really wouldn't. Like, I'd go surfing and I'd hang, try and hang out with as many open-minded people as I could, and I'd try to share as many awesome ideas, and I'd try to stay as curious as I possibly could, and just continuously learn and evolve. In terms of what projects, well. Basically, I would start an investment fund, which would basically seek to disrupt the traditional venture capitalist investment models, which keeps companies locked into a system where they have to provide value to somebody who purely cares about the return on investment rather than the impact on the world. And I would create a new investment fund, which provided uh, support on the financial and the spiritual, the psychological, the emotional, the physical levels to visionaries who are creating, uh, who have a bold vision for a future reality, a future that we all want, the future that our hearts know is possible. And uh, I would, yeah, just create a, a vehicle to support, to find these to find these people, to attract them, and then just support them in every way that could possibly be supported. So it just became exponential. Powerful. Well, welcome to the new club of impact investors. <laughs> yeah, man. That felt good. I think I'll have to manifest that thirteen point seven billion. <laughs> yeah, and maybe you can start one step smaller, and it's it's still going to be enough. I I think this is why I asked this question: is just like go go to the infinite amount what of possibilities. But I love your answer. Yeah, love your answer so much. You know, you're saying like my lifestyle. You you took a second to think, but then you said my lifestyle wouldn't change one bit. And I think 
this is something we're discussing too little in a lot of these circles. Like you're rich when you can say that in a very different way of looking at rich, you know, in a level of self-awareness, in a way of loving and, and, and relationship. Because if you wouldn't change your lifestyle when you have infinite possibility, that means you're actually already connected, truly connected and present in your relationship. Mm. And it, well, I'm inspired, dude. Thanks, man. And also just to uh, flesh out that vision a little bit more, I, I realized that when, you were, when, that when you said impact investing, I realized that it's, it's, it's already happening with, with Flow State, the organization that I've created. We're launching a uh, community called Flow State X um, nice. in the next month, which is for visionary entrepreneurs, change makers, social entrepreneurs, change catalysts, people who uh, want to do something. They want to co-create the, the world, our hearts know as possible. And I've realized that, you know, this is already happening. We're, um, we're already investing in these people. We're already supporting these visionary entrepreneurs. It's, it's actually already a thing. And, and Flow State is already providing spiritual, emotional, physical like support to, to these entrepreneurs. So I guess like the answer to your question is actually just like continue doing more of what is, is already happening, but, but, but at a faster rate of growth. Boom. Let it, let it be so. Let well, is there anything else you want to share with people on the show? Any like takeaway, anything that comes to heart and mind at this very moment? Yeah. Let's just remember to play. Let's teach our children to play. Let's remember to tell our stories. Let's remember to share. Let's remember that authenticity and vulnerability is are like powerful, powerful, powerful and contagious, contagious ways of showing up in life, right? To be vulnerable is to be such a radical, revolutionary rebel, to fly in the face of a culture that says, you must wear this mask, you must pretend to be this person, and to shed all of that and to just show up raw right, and vulnerable is such a, a, an act of rebellion that uh, yeah that's just what i want to share let's just show up and tell our stories and teach our children how to show up as the beautiful infinite beings that they are i love it it's a new new form of uh anarchism no it's uh, it just is. show up and play and be authentic it, and vulnerable in that space it literally is a new form of anarchism yeah yeah, yeah. beautiful rebellion cool Jiro, thank you so much for taking the time thanks for being on the show thanks for sharing kind of a little like spotlight into your life and what you're doing and what what drives you what inspires you uh, it's been it's been a pleasure and an honor. It's been a pleasure, my man. Thank you so much, Julian. Take care. I hope you too enjoyed this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or Spotify, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast, and join me and others in the conversation on Facebook, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast on Facebook. Wherever you are, have yourself a summer day.